0: Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit HarvestWS.org. Here's this week's message. It is good to uh, see you and be here uh, this morning and to be in this room again and worshiping with you and then to see all of your faces. It has been such a blessing uh, for me um, to be here and um, you know uh, that would be the primary reason for sure. The secondary reason is the weather down here is a little bit better than what we are experiencing up in the uh, great Midwest there. Um, It is, I talked to Bree this morning, um, it was negative 16, I think they got dumped on with like 8 inches, so there's like a 78 degree swing of temperature there. Be back is pretty uh, pretty significant, but man, it is it is so fun uh, to be back. As DJ said, I'm Dave Jacobson, and um, I was one of the pastors here um, for for several years. And one of the certainly greatest joys um, that I've experienced. And, and four months ago, my family, uh, our four girls, my wife and I, we moved up to uh, the suburb of Chicago, and we've been there since August at uh, the Harvest Training Center. Uh, Harvest Winston Salem is part of a network. Network of churches, 151 churches all across the globe, and they have a training center up in uh, Chicago for the purpose of church planting. And so my wife and I have been up there along with our kids, and they've been going to a school, and, and my wife's been getting training, and I've been in class like nonstop since I left. And so um, it feels like it's been about five minutes and five years, like all at the same time uh, since I was here. But before we get into the sermon, I just wanted to just give you a little bit of an update on what's been happening with us and how how it's been going. Um, I know many of you have been uh, encouraging us and, and supporting us and praying for us, and so I just wanted to um, give a chance, and it's, I'm just so thankful for this opportunity, certainly thankful for the elders and extending the, um, the invite and, and being able to, to come down. It is just me. I know that's a major letdown for many of you. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it was just a little too much. The kids just finished school on Friday, and we're, we're transitioning. We're moving to a new house um, this actually tomorrow, and so um, we've got a few things going on and so it's just a little too much to have Brie and all the girls come down but we'll come down again sometime I, I do promise. Um, I do want to tell you a little bit about the training center. It has just been a phenomenal uh, four months. Um, I, I don't use this word lightly but it has been world-class training um, throughout. Um, we have just been privileged to have uh, men, senior pastors from all around the country, all around the world come in and pour into us and um, teach us and grow us and stretch us and and the fun thing is is we've been doing it alongside 40 other men, 40 other families that are also going to be planting churches. And so if you can imagine getting 40 pastors in the same room for four months straight, it's been pretty crazy. And so um, we are not just pastors, church planters, right? It takes a certain mind to want to go and and start something from scratch like that. Um, But it has just been an incredible time and we have formed some lifelong uh, relationships and partnerships up there for both me and Bree. It has been so encouraging and just life giving to us um, we 've been stretched and challenged and so I just wanted to let you know that because we're just so thankful because you sent us up there. And, and, and really, you were the kind of commissioning church and, and, and brought us up there and, and allowed us to go through that. And um, one of the benefits has been these relationships. And I've got to say, I've so enjoyed getting to know your new pastor, uh, Johnny Pereira, and his uh, family, Lori. Um, he's such a genuine guy. Lori is so sweet. I think you guys are really going to like him and his family. I'm so excited for them to get here. I'm really excited just for this next season of ministry in the life of this church. You know, a lot of people have asked me, they're like, so now that you've been up there and you've been in the training center, like, what do you think about Harvest? And and now that you've seen a little bit more, and I got to tell you, I I was already a fan before um, going up of what God was doing through the fellowship and how he's using it, but I am so much more so excited about how God is blessing and using this organization of um, of church planting. And um, it was just so incredible. So like I said, I was up there with all the men. There are now going to be churches like these guys packed up their their trailers and their trucks and and they're driving all over the country and flying all over the globe here in these coming weeks. And so um, this fall there's going to be churches planted in Albuquerque and Springfield and northern Utah and Seattle and Springfield, Illinois and New Jersey and outside D.C. and in Charlotte and, and, and I mean they're just going and that's just the national ones. Then there's, there's several in Canada and then there's uh, St. Vincent and Um, Barbados, and Rwanda, and I was really good friends with this guy, Cabo San Lucas, and um, Uganda, and Rwanda, and I mean, so it was just so cool to be there and see, and then to spend this time, and now these these guys are all going out, and there's going to be new life-giving, Christ-exalting churches planted all over the place. And so for our family, what's next for us is um, we moved up to... uh, Uh, Chicago with the idea that you know maybe God would would allow us to come back and we'd be able to continue to partner here with Winston-Salem and plant somewhere maybe in North Carolina somewhere. That was kind of our original plan. But i got to tell you and I think we told you before we left, we really just sort of put everything on the table and just said, you know what God, um, it's a unique transition, it's a unique season for us and we really want to be exactly where you would have us be. And so we're willing at this point to go anywhere in the country that you would send us um, that there's a great opportunity that you um, would use our gifts. And so that was kind of our prayer. And I don't know if you've ever done that, like personally or as a family, but i got to tell you, it's a pretty stretching thing to do, to really genuinely say before God, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Just make it clear. Show me that there's the opportunity. Show me that my gifts are going to be used there, and I will, I will go. And that was sort of our prayer. And so through conversations with the leadership there, through researching cities and looking at that, the opportunity opened for us to go and plant in the city of Madison, Wisconsin. And so that's not North Carolina, all right? Um, there, there, there's some differences in that. And um, you guys have all been so kind to make sure I know that the weather is not the same up there. I, I appreciate that. That's really, really kind of you. And it's, it's sad to be, it's like, it's an adjustment, it's a thing. We have loved being in North Carolina and it's, it's sad to be away from all of you, especially, I mean, I've just had hug after hug and, 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 and connecting with you and seeing you um, this weekend, just reminded of what a family we have here. But let me tell you, God has opened up our hearts and given us a real burden for the city of Madison. It is such a cool city, um, but it's a city that has great need. Over 90% of the population of Madison is not involved in an evangelical church. I was talking to someone yesterday, and he was like, "Well, how many like solid, you know, really good churches that are just killing it? Like, are there? Are there dozens, hundreds?" And I'm like, "No, dude. There's like maybe ten. Um, there's really not that many um, like-minded churches that are that are doing. It. I mean, there's some. I don't don't get me wrong. There's some amazing churches there doing some incredible things, but it's not enough. They need more." life-giving churches there in that city and so we're just so excited about that opportunity there's over 50,000 college students In that city. And so the opportunity not just to influence and and, and reach that city for Christ, but then to reach these college students who will then go from the UW-Madison all over the globe, and to be able to reach the world through the gospel there is just incredible. And so we're excited. I actually grew up an hour south. I didn't tell anybody that when I went up there, because I didn't want that to influence their decision. So when like Madison came into the conversation, I was like, well, actually I did grow up near that. They're like, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, because I didn't want you to Box me in and and send me back to Wisconsin. You know, I just like I I, you know I just I just threw y'all around a lot when I was up there, and so I just you know I was trying, but you know what? God really had it, and He's been working in Bree's um, Bree's heart as well. She's excited as well. I mean, it's a huge adjustment from her. She's moving from Dallas. Um, That's where she grew up, and so we were up there, and we were in the middle of a snowstorm. I know what you all do in a snowstorm, right? You get bread and milk, and you hole up for like five days, okay? You sled down the street, everyone's sipping hot chocolate, and it's like, like the 50s all over again or something. It's like, you know, the world just stops. Up there, if it snows, people are like, I'm going out, you know, it's like, that's, a, that's why you go out, like, let's go get stuck, you know, and so they're just, they're driving, and so we're near the mall, and it's dumping, there's six inches of snow on the ground, and Bree's like, why are people walking, why aren't they inside, don't they know, and I'm like, sweetie, if you went inside every time it snowed, you would never go outside for like six months. <laughs> So it's an adjustment for her, but man, we are so, so excited about the opportunity and again, just what God is doing. And while I'm saying all that, you know, there is still actually going to be a church planted in Charlotte. It's not us, but there's another guy, um, Joel Smelly, it's an unfortunate last name, but a great guy, and his family... Don 't worry, he owns it. He like is hashtag "stanky," like everything. so he just he's, he's great tell you that now because in Charlotte, I'm sure you'll meet him at some point. Johnny will connect you, I'm sure. But I want to tell you that now because um, he's moving his family down here. They're going to be planting in Charlotte, and so many of you have family, friends, connections there in that city, and I think, I think uh, Harvest Bible Chapel will be fantastic in Charlotte, and um, there are many that, that need um, to hear the gospel still in that city. And so if you could help in any way with them as they get going, um, that would be incredible. And like I said, I'm sure, Johnny, you'll be hearing updates about what's happening there. But I want to just put that on your radar so you can be thinking of who you need to tell and who you need to invite um, to this new uh, church plant. For us, I would just say, um, kind of the last thing is just thank you. Uh, thank you so much, first of all, for your support. Um, we went up there with all of our financial needs for the training center covered. Our Our moving expenses were covered. You guys blessed us beyond what we could have hoped for. And it really took a major your burden and pressure off of us to just be able to focus on that training. Like we were really able to be there and not have to worry about the needs and and, and doing all and you guys just gave um, so generously toward that. And so thank you for that. And thank you for your encouragement. Thank you so much for your support and and prayers. And so many of you have reached out to us and just been so encouraging and it's been it's been so helpful. And and we're excited to continue to update you and tell you about what God's gonna be doing in Madison. And I don't want you to ever think just because it's, you know, a little way further away, um, that this is now happening not connected to you guys. Um, you, your generosity and your pouring into me and to our family is allowing this church to be planted. And so this is a church being planted by this church and because of your faithfulness to the gospel and your faithful giving and your faithful support. And so I just wanted to encourage you with that and remind that of you that, yeah, it's a little ways away, but God is working and he's using you in this effort. And so we couldn't be more excited um, to share what God's going to do in these coming months and years ahead. Uh, We're going to be living in Elgin for a little bit longer. That's where the training center is. We're going to be partnering with Harvest Chicago in uh, kind of a cool way. And so we're going to be working on that model. So we're going to be there. The girls are going to get to finish up school at the um, amazing Christian school that they've been at. Um, They've been so loved on and cared for there. And so we're doing great and so excited. And couldn't be more excited to be back here uh, to be able to open God's Word together with you. So let's do just that. Go ahead and grab your Bible. And let's get into um, the the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Open up to uh, Zephaniah. Um, chapter 3. And maybe it's been a while since you've been in the book of Zephaniah. It's a little book uh, in the prophets. Um, It's okay to use your table of contents if you have to. Um, No one's going to judge that. Totally okay. But we're going to be in Zephaniah, and I'm just excited about what God uh, has for us here. As you're turning there, um, I think this season, more than any, we are get reminded that people are always trying to, um, if you will, fill their joy bucket. You know what I mean by that like like I, f- I feel like people are always chasing after trying to be filled up you you never you never and it's one of those buckets that just kind of always feels like it's leaking out, like you, you never, you never are, are, are overflowing. And people go about it in all sorts of ways. But this time of year, I think more than any, people want to feel sort of warm and cozy, and like this joy bucket is over full as we approach the holidays. Like even Ellie yesterday, we were listening to some music and some Christmas music or something, and she's like, Dad, I just feel like I have the Christmas spirit. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, where did you learn that? No more TV for a week. Like, where where are you picking this? Because we say things like that, right? It's like, well, i just kind of getting into the Christmas spirit. And we have this idea or this sense of, of how our emotional state needs to be heading into um, this week. And we try and find it. I mean, people try and find it in all sorts of ways. Even on the way here on the plane, I was reading an article about this guy who was giving some instruction on how to really build up the joy in your life. And he said you need to attend to the joy of loving kindness in your life. And the way that he described this was think of two people and, and think and wish in your heart, don't actually do anything, but just wish that they would be happy. And then think about that for a minute. And when that feeling of joy comes, like latch on to that, think about that, and then you'll find yourself having more joy to kind of get you through the day. See, at its root, I mean... You're kind of like, why would that work? I can kind of see where it's coming. I mean, His whole point was getting outside of yourself, not just thinking of yourself, but thinking for others to be happy. But here's the problem with that line of thinking, is that you're only ever just wishing that those people are happy and not actually doing anything to make them happier. So it's a total selfish exercise. You're not actually thinking outside of yourself. You're really just thinking about yourself while you're convincing yourself that you're thinking about others outside of yourself right? And so that's not going to work for you. That's going to have some diminishing returns. But on the other side, Scripture, and particularly this passage in Zephaniah, is very clear on, on, on some ways that you can really fill up that joy bucket. And that's what I've called today the restoration of joy, and I think we would all admit, even the most joyful person here this morning, you might just be that bubbly type that, that everyone else is like, man, I wish I had that kind of joy. Even you would admit that your joy bucket could use a little bit more, right? Anybody's like, no, I've to- I'm topped off. I have got all the joy I can handle. I don't need any more, right? No one's in that place this morning. So I think this is a timely and good message for all of us because we all want joy, especially heading into the holidays, heading into Week with family, heading into what is sometimes just Zephaniah writing for us, but we got to make sure that that joy is coming from the right place. And so, Zephaniah, right now in this passage we're jumping into, is writing to the people of Judah in a time when they were suffering. See, Israel's been taken into exile, and they're all that's left. And he says this in verse 14 of chapter 3 He says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. He's calling the people in this time of suffering to be joyful and to have this this joyful response to God. How can he do that? Like how how is this the call to these people who are suffering so much? And what we're going to see is, Ray, so let us in so well, this is, this is for us now a season of Advent when we look back to people in this time. See, because in Zephaniah's day, they were looking forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus had not yet come. He had been prophesied that he was going to come. And that's why he was saying, hey, rejoice. Exalt in the Lord because the Messiah is coming. And so we celebrate and think about Advent because it helps remind us of what it might have been like to wait for the Messiah the first time, but knowing that he has come. We're on this side of the manger. We're on this side of the cross. But we here today in 2016 know that Christ is coming again. And so it's what we can call the already not yet. Like he has already begun to do the things that we're going to look at this morning in the passage. He's already begun to restore our joy, but it not yet has been fully restored to us. And so that's the kind of mindset that we need to enter this passage with this morning. But what we're going to see and what we're going to be reminded of is that if you want to have that restoration of joy, you want that joy bucket full you have to understand that Christ's work in your midst is what brings the restoration of joy and nothing else. In fact, what we're going to see in this passage is that your joy will be restored when you respond to Christ's working. And I think we're going to see Christ working in the Israelite people in three distinct ways. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray and we're going to jump right into it. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together. Lord, we've already sung your praise this morning. Jesus, we have lifted your name high. Lord, we are about to open up your word. You've given us your word not as a means um, or not just that it would just end here, but God, you've given us your word to make us better worshipers. Lord, we want to understand more fully who you are. God, we want to grasp what you've done. Lord, would you restore our joy even this morning? I pray that as we are studying, God, would you do that work in us now? We ask that you would give us ears to listen, hearts to understand. And God, would we take action on what we hear this morning? We pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, go ahead and look in your copy of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 9 and kind of work our way through. I'm going to read just the first verse, and we're going to kind of pause and and talk about that. Verse 9 says this, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples into a pure speech that that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. What we see here is that there's this disunity, there's this discord among the people. And what, what God is promising that he's going to do is, he's, like I said, He's going to, Christ in, in our midst, he's going to work in this distinct way. And what we see is this, this, this call to change the speech is the beginning of removing the discord that is present there. See, Christ begins by removing the discord. There's discord, there's conflict, there's struggling. Since the fall, it's always been this way. We get this, right? Like, we know that. If you're doubting that, wait till Sunday afternoon when you're with all of your family and try and tell me that there's not discord, right? Like, even the people we love more than anyone in the world, like, we're, like, sometimes just, like, ah, like, grating against, right? Certainly people that we can't get along with or that we have a hard time loving, certainly there's discord. But what we see is that as Christ comes, He removes the discord and He does it in three areas. The first is this one we see in verse 9. He purifies the people's speech. You see, this is something that He not just wants to do among the people of Israel, but He wants to do among all the peoples. See that He says, I will change the speech of the people's. That's a way of saying the nations outside of just Israel. God wants to do this work in the world and purify their speech. Why? To what end? That they may all call upon the name of the Lord. See, there's such discord in our speech today. It's an impure speech. And when I say impure speech, maybe we need to give that a bit of a definition. I'm not just talking about too many four-letter words being used or like not correct grammar or something like that. What we're talking about is speech that we pour out of our mouth that doesn't build anyone up. It only tears down. Uh, It's at odds with other people. And social media has given us such a channel for just general, like, just disdain and outrage toward the most menial of things, right? Like, we just came through this election year, right? Like, it was just like, there was a lot of disagreement and a lot of people disagreeing in not very encouraging ways. I don't know about you, but sometimes I would get on my feet, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I just couldn't even stand it. I'm like, I'm just going to put that. I just want to say, settle down, Facebook. Okay, everyone just calm down. Right? But there's this discord and this impure speech that's just flying out from us. And what Jesus is saying here is that when he comes, when that coming Messiah comes, he's going to begin by removing the discord, by purifying the speech. And so I know we're just like first, verse in, but I think it begs the question, as we want to submit to this, right? As we want this joy, as we want our discord removed in our life, if we want to allow Jesus to do this work, I think we have to ask the question, how is our speech? Is there impurity in our speech? The center of most, let me ask it this way, like what surfaces or what rises to the center of most of your conversations? doesn't matter where is it you know what you post on social media uh, what you talk about when you're at work um, what you discuss when you're having lunch with someone uh, when you're just with the guys uh, maybe even when you're with your spouse at night or around the dinner table what are the things that you talk about what do you talk about before and after life group what are the things that your heart resonates with and how are you going about expressing those things See, God's Word says that from the heart pours forth our speech, right? It shows our heart. And so what do the Word say about the things that you value? See, Christ wants to change and purify our speech for a purpose that all may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. We need to look at our speech and ask, what does our speech say about our values? But then also, what kind of speech are we consuming? He wants to purify that as he removes discord he doesn't stop there as I said there's three ways let's find the next one verse 10 from beyond the rivers of Cush my worshipers the daughters of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me here's the second way that he removes the discord is he overcomes shame he overcomes shame See, the Israelite people had much to be shameful of. They'd rebelled against God. God had led them to this nation. He had brought them to this place. And he had called them out and brought them as a people. And what he had done was to give them this instruction. And and, and he, he created them to be a people set apart. And what the people had done is rebelled against that which God had given them. And they had kind of gone their own way. And so there they were at the time living with their nation in a bit in shambles. Right, The northern kingdom has been hauled off to exile. And there is um, uh, just this remnant of people that are suffering. And so certainly they had much to be ashamed of. They were looking around and they had relatives that were hauled off to these lands. And they're there and they have the shame. But what Christ is saying here is this on that day, that day of judgment that is coming, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds which you have rebelled against me. He's not saying you've done nothing wrong, quite the opposite. He's saying you've rebelled, but I am going to remove your shame. And so many of us, I'm sure we know what it's like to live in shame, right? Like how many times have you open up to that you're struggling with or you're working through and the last thing you want to do is, is, is open up to that with the people around you like maybe you're not even willing to open up to your spouse you're not willing to open up to your life group and and we we live in a way that that doesn't line up with the words that we're saying but what does that lead to us we feel shame in that we're like i feel like i'm living a lie like i'm i'm deceiving everyone And that's where the nation of Israel was at. They were in this place of, they felt like they were deceiving the world because they were supposed to be God's chosen people, yet they knew that they had done everything the exact opposite of what he had instructed them to do. And so they had shame. But here comes the Messiah. The Messiah is saying, you shall not be put to shame. He overcomes shame. So I think our encouragement in that is come into the light there's things in your life that don't line up with the speech that you're pouring out then bring it before your brothers and sisters in Christ allow these things to come don't let shame continue and exist soften your rebellious heart and turn to God that you may not be put to shame he's not standing there waiting to shame you he wants to remove this discord. He does it by purifying speech, overcoming shame, and last, he puts away or arrogant boasting. Look at the next part of verse 11. For then I will remove from your midst the proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice, speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. You see what he's doing in that second part of verse 11? He's removing, he's putting away the arrogant boasters. You know, I think you can look at so much of the sin that exists in our lives, and you can point to the root cause of that being Pride. It's an element of us considering ourselves better than we ought. It's a, it's a time of us thinking that we are something that we're not, and, and there's this, this overconfidence of who we are. And what, what Christ is saying here is, I'm going to remove those who are arrogantly boasting in who they are. They're not boasting in who I am. They're boasting in who they are. And pride, when it's grown up and moves out of the home, is arrogant boasting. Like It doesn't even care what other people think. It's it's willing to just say it and talk about it. And so we have these people. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to remove the discord by getting rid of those who are arrogant boasters. Which again, if we want to submit to the word of God, this is a good chance for us to ask into that. Boasting exists in my life. Because we're we're prone to that. right? We, We do that. But this verse is warning us. It's it's a warning to people and saying, hey, I'm going to remove those who are the arrogant boasters. And so for you, if you would look at your life and say, is this something that you struggle with? Because here's the truth, is that none of us, none of us have anything to be prideful or boast about. Like even think about the things, the gifts, the things that you would be most esteemed about who you are. Where does that come from? I mean, the band, they lead us so great, right? Every week in worship. But they didn't choose. There's nothing that they did to earn the gift of being able to sing like that or play that that instrument, right? Some of you are just incredible with projects. Like you are a detailed person. You can see the thing from start to finish and you know exactly what needs to happen every step of the way. Others of you are just incredible with people, like you can talk to somebody for five minutes and you're best friends, like you're able to, to ask questions and get into them and, and know them. Some of you have athletic abilities and, and you can do things and, and run faster and throw harder and do all these things in ways that, that some of us never will be able to do. Some of you are just really good looking and like God just gave you like better facial features than some of others of us, Okay. You can put yourself into whatever category you want, but at the end of the day, what did you do to get that? God is the one who created you. God is the one who gave you your gifts. Your response might be like, well, you know, but I work really hard. Like, I've worked at that. That just didn't get given to me. I had to work at that. Okay. But I can show you somebody else who has also worked equally hard and they didn't yield the same results. We kid ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and we look at our life and say, "I control that. I did that. I'm the one who did that." It's pride, and pride, when it grows up, moves into arrogant boasting. And so, there's a warning here for us. We need to be careful that we are not arrogant boasters. Rather, we're a thing for you. If this removal of the discord that Christ is trying to bring, so if this is a thing for you, if this is This is an area that you struggle in. I think there's five helpful things right here from the text that you can do. The first is to stop bragging. Verse 11, it's a warning. I will remove from your your, your midst proudly exultant ones. Just stop. Don't do that. Heed the warning. Stop bragging. You're like, well, I don't really brag out loud. I'm not telling stories about myself. But, okay, there might be some bragging going on in your thoughts, right? Like you see somebody and you're like, man, (laughs) I could sure do that better. Or, wow, you see what I just did? That's incredible. Everyone see this? You know, But you don't say it, right? But you're bragging inside your heart and your thoughts. Stop that. Don't do that. The second thing, again, right from the text, humble yourself. Look at verse 12. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. Humble yourself. Recognize that God's the giver of all good things. He's the giver of gifts. Number three, ask God for help. They seek refuge in the name of the Lord. They're asking God for help. Don't lie. Number four, they shall do no injustice. They speak no lies. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself about others. Just look honestly about who you are. Don't believe negativity that's not true about other people. And lastly, trust God. They shall graze and lie down, and none of them shall make, no one shall make them afraid. They're trusting. For a sheep to lay down and to graze, they have to have total trust in that shepherd. That's that picture. You're not boasting. You're not arrogant. You're not proud because you have total trust in your good shepherd that he's going to nourish you. He's going to give you what you need and you don't have to fight every fight to get it. If you are to do those things, I think you'll see that, that boastfulness, that bragging, that pride in your life be minimized. But this is what Christ was coming to do. He begins by removing the discord that's present among the people, among the nations. But he doesn't stop there. Let's look at what he does next. This restoration of joy begins with the removal of discord, but he moves on from here. And in verse 14, he says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Right? We read this. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The first thing that Christ does when He comes is is to remove the discord. The second thing is that fear is cast out. Fear is cast out. And you see what Christ says there is that He says that He's coming that you might recognize and know who He is, but those judgments would be removed from you. That the enemies would be put away and that there is no need to fear because they can rejoice. They can rejoice Why can they rejoice in verse 14? Because they can rejoice because God is casting out their fear. In order to take away their judgments, that meant that God had to forgive them. And we know again on this side of the cross that forgiveness to us and to them is ultimately extended through the work that Jesus did on the cross. When he took the punishment of their sin upon himself, when he took our punishment on him and he was nailed to the tree, he died. He rose again. It's when we repent, when we acknowledge, when we say, yes, God, that was my sin that you died for. That is when he removes those judgments from us and he casts them away. And think about that. If you're a guilty person, which you are, and you understand that before God, but you know that he has taken that away, then what have you else to fear? He's casting out fear in this. Our greatest fear in life was cast out by the birth of a baby. When that baby was born, that process started that would lead to the end of all fear. And I love that phrase in verse 15. It's actually probably worth underlining. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Is that not Christmas? Is that not what we're celebrating this coming week? The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Underline that. If your neighbor's not underlining it, underline it for them. Okay? You want to remember this. You can write Jesus in the margin. Jesus is in your midst. And what is he doing when he comes? He's casting out fear. Why? How? He's removing these judgments. But look what it says in verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. There it is again. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He says, fear not, O Zion. That's why 1 John 4.18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Jesus was casting out the fear of the people by bringing his love to bear upon them. And understanding the Savior's perfect love is when they were able to get to that place that they had nothing to fear. They weren't afraid of the punishment that was due to them. And the same is true for us. In the same way that the people were encouraged by the promise that the Lord God was in their midst. Did You catch what he said there? What he's doing in our midst today. And did you catch what he said there? What he's doing in our midst? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Are you kidding me? He's exalting over me with loud singing? I'm the same rebellious person that we were just talking about. I'm the same guy with impure speech and and that arrogant boasting and and that prideful attitude and and, and the shame. But but yet this verse says that when the Messiah comes, that he will rejoice over me, that he will sing with gladness over me. That's an incredible promise. I mean, I I think you know Psalm 103, 11 and 12. Let me read it to you. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I think we could all admit, right, that the east and the west are pretty far apart, right? It's kind of infinitely apart, right? If you were to just keep going. I mean, eventually I know the world's I, I know about Christopher Columbus. Like the world's a circle, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a sphere, and, and so you're eventually going to meet. But the idea is that it goes on forever. And so in my thinking, I've always read this verse in Psalm 103, and I've thought, you know what, what God is doing with my sin, my transgression, the things that I've done wrong against him, he's taking them and he's, he's moving them way, way, way far away. But I think if you read that Psalm 103 in light of this verse that we just read here in this passage, I think you get a totally like more full understanding of it. He hasn't just removed it. What has he done? He's changed. He's changed. He's moved from a need for retribution toward us to a posture of rejoicing over us. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. There's no longer a need for retribution. Rather, he's singing a song about us. He's so excited about what we are and who we are and what we've become through his work in our lives. That's an incredible promise for you. I don't know if you think about the fact that Jesus rejoices over what he's done in your life and who you are because of him. It's quite a movement from where we were talking about earlier, right? The person that's exalting in themselves, that's rejoicing in themselves. Now we see this picture of Jesus rejoicing in us because of what he's done. He's all about his glory. He's rejoicing in us because it's bringing him more glory. He's made great when we are made small and when we are restored. Joy bucket. If you want your joy to be restored, you want to fill up that joy bucket, you need to understand this point. Your Savior rejoices over you with loud singing. How good is our God? How good is our God? And I don't know about you, but I hear that and sometimes I'm like, but I want more. But what about this? Why can't I have that? Your Savior rejoices over you with loud singing. Who are we? Who am I to ask for more from God? You have nothing to fear. Your standing before God is secure. Your worth, your value, it's all found in Him. You don't have to try for another day to find it anywhere else. You have but to turn to Him and acknowledge that He is working in you. And here's the last thing. We see that he, he removes this discord. The fear is cast out. And the last thing is that the scattered are gathered. Look at verse 18. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach See, I think this verse is pretty straightforward, right? We understand this promise to the Israelite people. We understand what he was doing because these people were scattered all across the nations. These people were scattered across the globe. And what he's saying is he's going to bring them back. He's going to take away their mourning. He's going to deal with their oppressors. He's going to gather the outcast. And he's going to change their shame into praise. And he's going to to bring them together and make them renowned and known. That's what he's doing for the people of Israel. But here's the thing. We said at the beginning, right? We're in this already not yet part of life where, where Christ has already come and he has begun this work. He did this for the Israelites, he's doing this now for the church. The scattered are being gathered right now. He's calling to himself a people who would respond. And I would say even this morning there might be some of you that have never responded to this call to be gathered home to your heavenly Father. And the Messiah has come so that you would know life itself. That you would be able to know that, that you, you can't make it. You, you, you can't do it on your own. Your, your sin will keep you from He wants to bring you home. But through the death of Christ and through your repentant heart that He wants to bring you home. He wants to gather those who have been scattered. And I think the very cool part about this is this will be perfectly completed when Christ comes again someday. He will gather to himself everyone whom he wills. And he's doing this work even now. And the part that I really want to focus on as we kind of wrap up our time together is that last phrase when he says, before your eyes. He's like, I'm doing all of this before your eyes. Do you guys remember that? Um, I think it was kind of the start thing that started the the home makeover shows. You remember Extreme Home Makeover, right? With uh, was it Ty Pennington? Um, you know, and the people would, they'd, they'd take them through this house and it was all kind of dilapidated or run down or not big enough or whatever. And so they would send the people away, right? The family would go to Disney World or something for a week and then they'd come back and there'd be a giant bus in front of their house. Remember, it was like, move that bus, right? And then the, the bus would go and then it was always the same reaction every time. Like they were like, oh man, they're like going nuts. You know, they're jumping like, yeah. They like couldn't believe like that's my house it's incredible then they go inside right there's flat screens everywhere right they they just bought out the whole the whole electronic store the kid goes into his room there's like a like whole playground in there he's like this is always what I've wanted yeah of course it's a, who doesn't want a playground in the room I want a playground in my room like that sounds amazing and so they go there but, we, but they didn't get to see any of the process like they left and then they came back and they had this incredible house but here's the thing that I think um, what Christ is trying to do, this, this, this process of gathering the scattered is happening not, not in that sort of way, but, it, but it's happening rather in a play-by-play before our eyes. It's more like the rest of the show, right? Where you get to see the drywall being torn down. You get to see that wall being removed. You see the tile going up. You see the carpet being laid. You see the things being installed. That's more like what's happening now. And some of us, I think we get in this place where we're like, man, but why doesn't he just finish it? Why doesn't he just do it? Here's the thing. He's doing it right now, but he's doing it before your eyes. It's not this snap and it's done sort of thing. We're not just going to get it to, like go away and then come back and it's all going to be done. He says in his word, he's, he's moving us from one degree of glory to the other. He's working in our hearts in a progressive manner to bring us to the place that he would have us be. And he's doing it before our eyes. It's like you can check your spiritual account and you can see the deposits being made. He's, it's happening right now and you can watch it happen if you look around. It's not happening in some secret place. It's happening right now. Even in this room, as we gather together and we hear God's word preach. as we go from here and this week, if you try and live this truth out, Before your very eyes, he will be gathering you to himself. Some of you maybe need to respond to the truth of who Jesus is in a way that you've never done before. He's gathering you to himself right now before your very eyes. This is how our Savior works. And I don't know about you, but that fills my joy bucket up. And so you might be here this morning and you might have been like right from the beginning. Yes, I would agree. My joy is lacking. I promise you that no amount of Christmas music this week is going to change that, right? You can't just go get the Christmas spirit and just hope that it's all just going to be here. The family's going to gather. The presents are going to be opened. The food will be eaten and it's all going to be over. We can't count on just the experience of Christmas to get us through and to fill up that joy, to restore that joy. Rather, our joy is restored when we understand who Christ is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will fully do when he comes again. That, church, is what restores our joy. Spend some time this week thinking about what Christ has accomplished on your behalf and what he is seeking to accomplish even right now in your hearts, and what he would seek to do if you would allow him to work in the way that he has come to do. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.